I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Anna Maria Caballero. Uh, her book is A Petite Mall, A Mother's Healing Love Story. When her young son is diagnosed with epilepsy, award-winning Colombian-American artist and poet Anna Maria Caballero is devastated and hopelessly confused. As the long journey of healing commences, she eschews traditional medicine and instead turns to a group of alternative healers whom she affectionately refers to as her army of witch doctors. First opinions, second opinions, third opinions. She bears it all in her uniquely poetic voice, haunting readers with the sheer weight on her shoulders while weaving in happier moments as she attempts to faithfully record her experience, illuminating the struggles in an often heartless healthcare system. Her suspense-filled story flows through the wings of hospitals and doctor's offices where she takes multifaceted stabs at the nature of emotion, illness, health, faith, loss. Uh, She's been featured in major media outlets such as Art News, Artnet, Forbes, Entrepreneur, and LUK. Welcome to the show. It's nice to have you on today. Thank you so much. I'm really, really grateful to be here. So we're going to start, Anna Maria. I mean, any mother... Uh, when her son or daughter or child is diagnosed with epilepsy, uh, it would be, uh, I don't want to put, I want you to describe the emotion, I guess. What, when that, when you first learned that your son had epilepsy? Well, you know, it was really hard to even get a straight answer from the doctor. So, my my initial emotion, the overwhelming emotion, was confusion. Um, I just was really confused as to what he had and how to go about finding a treatment or, you know, a, a appropriate care for him um, because the doctors wouldn't give me straight answers. And I understand, you know, sometimes it's it's difficult with a new diagnosis, but even based on the very clear symptoms we had, they were very reticent to... To, to just be aff- affirmative about what, what they were seeing and witnessing, which we were witnessing too. So I think that um, that sort of purposeful vagueness that we were treated with at first um, was really confusing and, and a little bit um, offending, to be honest. Um, it was very paternalistic. So I guess that would be, as I, guess I said in the intro, that kind of hostile uh healthcare system that you had to, or heartless, I didn't say hostile, heartless, the heartless healthcare system. When did, you, how old was your son? And also, uh, what was the incident? What was the first incident? Where was it? What happened? So he was six years old and he was really close to this little cousin, um, Sebastian. And the, the first incident, the first sort of red flag was they were chatting in the car in the back and I heard my son asked his cousin, you know, do you ever feel like you're going to fall? And I thought they were being silly, but it, it just, um, it stuck in my mind. And, there, and his cousin said, no, no. And then they, you know, started giggling about something else. Um, and then once we were walking home, uh, we were walking to the car when I picked him up from school. And he leaned back against a wall and said, oh, no, I just felt like I was going to fall. And I said, wait, what? What are you talking about? And then he did it again at home. And I took him to the pediatrician, um, you know, sort of right away. Um, they have a little emergency um, office. And 
the pediatrician gave him all sorts of blood tests and looked at his ear and said, you know, I don't think it's anything. Go home. Don't worry. And then the next day we were playing outside and he reached for a tree to steady himself because he said he was going to fall. And I just knew, I knew, and I packed, I packed it back to the hospital and I packed it back for several days, just sort of feeling that something was really up. So I guess as I read the statistics, 50 million people are diagnosed annually with seizure, seizure disorders. So there are a multitude of seizure disorders. They're not all the same or they don't manifest themselves the same. Um, Correct. So, yes, that's a really great point. Well, let's take it from oh. there. Because, yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I, you know, I, I was really surprised because I, again, I didn't know what he had. And, you know, everyone says, don't go on the Internet. But if the doctors aren't really telling you anything, well, then you go on the Internet. And the Internet has a lot of information. There's a lot of um, organizations that have sprung up to help people who are starting out, you know, in their, in their sort of seizure journey. And there's countless, countless numbers of seizures. You know, there's absence seizures where someone will literally just look like they're daydreaming and then come back. But it's, it's an actual form of seizure. My son's seizures at first were he was just like losing his balance and needed to steady himself, but then they became laughing seizures. And that's an actual type of seizure as well. Like he would just start laughing for no reason and also need to steady himself. That was his particular type of seizure. But, you know, not every seizure is the kind of, you know, poltergeist writhing on the floor seizure that, um, you know, media would have us believe. Um, so there's all sorts of seizures, but of course they're all very, they're all very concerning because it's not so much the seizure itself that can cause necessarily harm. It's what the child is doing when they have it. And we live in Florida where there's water everywhere. Um, so that, that was a huge concern for us because if he's in a pool, if he's in the ocean, you know, anywhere with water or even riding a bike and has a seizure, um, he can really hurt himself. So how did you or how do you address that concern? Because you've got a little boy there, he's active, and as you say, he's near water and bicycles and all kinds of things that uh, could have a terrible impact if, in terms of hurting himself. I mean, we really um, kept him at home, honestly. Um, we, we, you know, veered um, away from any kind of um, little birthday party, um, play dates, um, you know, even the jungle gym, the, the playground, if he's on a monkey bar, if he's up on a high slide, we were scared he would fall. Um, so we just kept him at home and invited his friends over. Um, you know, they were little enough that they didn't really realize what was going on. So he would have seizures while his friends were over. Um, and they would maybe like think that he was doing something kind of silly, um, but they wouldn't, it, it wouldn't really, you know, concern them or scare them in any way at all. Um, so we just kept kept our son at home. I mean, another thing is that we we really focused on controlling what he started eating um, and made sure that he, he was away from sugar. We were away from, you know, things that could potentially trigger seizures because there are there are seizures that are triggered, for example, by gluten. Um, so we started a very strict detox of his system to see if maybe it was, you know, a sort of a form of allergic. Um, or, or physical reaction to, 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 you know, anything like gluten or sugar. 
What did you do? I mentioned in the beginning witch doctors that you kind of like uh, you had difficulties with uh, traditional medicine, which many people do. And uh, so who were these witch doctors and how did they help you? And uh, how did you like first decide, well, we're going to take another journey and uh, see what we can do and maybe a little uh, alternative medicine? Well, I I'd grown up in Colombia, um, and I was really close to a, a number of alternative practitioners of medicine. And it's you know it's worth highlighting that all of them have you know traditional medical degrees, um, but they've just elected to practice medicine in a different way, in a more holistic way. Um, so I I always felt very much inclined to to practicing sort of that form of medicine on myself. Um, when I had health concerns in the past. And so immediately when, when, when we were in the hospital, um, I started calling all of them and saying, this is happening. Um, you know, it's all really new. We're all really confused. And the, the resounding sort of number one advice was hold off on the medication if you can. If his seizures aren't, you know, that strong yet, um, hold off on the medication because the medication, of course, solves the quote-unquote problem, it solves the symptom. It, it makes the seizure go away. Um, but then it fools you into thinking that, you know, everything is okay, and clearly there's an underlying condition um, in his body that, that we wanted to uncover. We didn't want to just, you know, cover it up with a carpet. We wanted to understand what was going on in the infrastructure of his, of his body. Uh, you know, as a mother... I'm wondering, like, as you're doing this and navigating the waters for your son, it's a, your book is a story about your son, but it's also a book about you. And how, is there any, I, I know that in, when one's child is diagnosed with a chronic illness or uh, disease that often mothers feel guilty, like they did something or could have prevented it or a lot of irrational stuff. How, talk to us about that. Did you have any of those kinds of feelings? Yes, I mean, um, you know, the book is is written in in um, fragmented text. It's very much a convulsed text, so I think it could really interest, you know, not only readers of of, of medicine or of in topics like motherhood or spirituality, but actual um, people who are interested in in the craft of writing. Um, because the seizures were interrupting our lives, I, I wrote it in bursts. But in the middle of the book, I tucked a five-paragraph essay, very much of the form that we're taught to write in middle school, you know, with a thesis, three supporting um, examples, and a conclusion. And it's it's a tongue-in-cheek uh, five-paragraph essay that basically says, you know, his seizures are my fault. And I'm addressing face front, full frontal, you know, the, the theme of maternal guilt and allowing myself that space to just lean into it and acknowledge the feelings of guilt that even if we're feeling them, it's almost like we're guilty about feeling guilt. I mean, there's so much that society is tugging and pulling um, at mothers all the time. You know, we're not even supposed to feel guilty, but then we are supposed to feel guilty so that I acknowledge the guilt, I embrace it, and I say, this is why his seizures are my fault. And let's talk about one of the other feelings uh, or uh, emotions. Um, I think I mentioned also in the intro, the um, 
the loss, the the feelings of loss and, and grieving the loss of what, uh, you know, of your son's health, of the change in the family, all of those kinds of things. And we, you know, I, I felt very much like I had to be a pillar, um, a pillar to myself, a pillar to other family members, a pillar to my husband. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I have a very practical mindset and a positive one as well. Um, and even though I was exhausted and, and terrified, I felt like others were, were having um, a much stronger emotional reaction. And so I felt like the comforter, you know, even though I was the mother, I felt like the comforter of, of many in this situation, um, including my son. You know, he at one point asked me, you know, why don't you just give me the medication? The doctors say, we'll make the seizures go away, mommy. Give me the medicine and they'll, they'll go away. Because um, he was tired, too, of, of, you know, trying new things, of, of changing his diet, of not being able to do certain activities. Um, and the seizures escalated as well. Um, so they, they started getting stronger and more frequent. Um, so, you know, I, I really felt like a lot was leaning on me. Um, and it was hard. It was really hard. You're putting it in the past tense. So where are we today? It was hard. It was difficult. There was a lot of responsibility that you took You took because you decided to take on that responsibility. Um so look, can we follow through with that? What are you still doing that? We're not. I mean, actually, we were able to find effective treatment for our son. And then we were able to wean him off the treatment. And even though the doctors all say there's no medical clinical explanation for any of his of his recovery. I mean, his he's doing amazing. Thank God. Um, right now he's doing absolutely incredibly well um, and living an, a fully normal childhood with, you know, ice cream and pool parties included. The, uh, very often, and I hear physicians talk about this, uh, having done quite a bit of hospital social work, that kids outgrow their seizures. Not always, but many times they do. Uh, was that something that you were told? Well, no, we were told all sorts of conflicting um, explanations. And I think we had a really, you know, sort of markedly bad experience um, with the first doctors that we were seen by. But we were ultimately told that our son had structural epilepsy, which means he had something actual in his brain, like a mark, a, a, an imperfection that wasn't, you know, terminal or anything, but it was, it's, it's like a birthmark of the brain, we were told ultimately. And that type of you know, uh, condition is really hard because it doesn't, you don't grow out of it. Um, you know, you don't grow out of your moles. You don't grow out of your birthmarks. Um, and so, again, that's why I say that there's no clinical explanation for why he was able to heal not only so quickly but so completely, and then we were able to wean him off. Um, we, were, we attempted, we decided to attempt to wean him off, and, and we were able to wean him off um, medication that we, we ended up giving him. And since his epilepsy is structural, um, you know, there's no reason why the doctor wasn't able to explain to us why it went away. What would you say was the impact on your family? You know, when one person in the family, be it a child or anyone in the family, uh, has a 
has a, an illness, uh, it impacts the whole family. We kind of touched on the impact it has on you. What about your husband? Uh, the whole family dynamic changes. Um, it was really hard on, on our entire on our entire family. Um, you know, we again we were dealing with with different sort of rates of of exhaustion. Um, I, I think that the fact that I was able to to write the book um, and put all my emotions there, and you know, I had that outlet. Where, where many others don't have that kind of an outlet really, really helped me. Um, like I was able to just put everything sort of dirty in the book, you know, all the gore went in the book so that at home I could be more level um, and more stable. So I'm really grateful that I have my, my writing practice to accompany me not only through this, but through everything. I hear that a lot. People, particularly creative people like you who um, a writer a poet, uh, people who, musicians, um, people in the arts, even acting, theater, that all helps to alleviate all that negativity when you have that kind of an outlet. Um, so I always say, what would you say to people who maybe don't have that? You know, they aren't an author like you are or a creative person. Um, what, what can they do if they're going through a similar journey as you've gone through? I think writing is available to everyone. You know, sometimes people think like, oh, I, you know, there's no need for me to write. I'm not going to write a book. You don't have to write a book that gets published. Um, you can write for yourself. I do that very often, um, you know, basically daily. Um, I write things that I know I'm not going to publish. And it's incredibly helpful to do so, <laughs> even if nothing is, you know, quote unquote wrong in your life at this moment. Um, I think journaling and writing is something that is, it, it should, I really encourage everyone to just, you know, think of it as part of like a healthy, balanced diet. Yeah. <laughs> just and uh, if there isn't anything wrong now, don't worry, there will be something wrong in everybody's <laughs> life. <laughs> right? Just <laughs> prepare for just it. Yeah. yeah. So why, you know, it's great to have that, that habit at least um, to help you. Yeah. So your son, your conversations with him, because now he is healthy, so he can eat what he wants, ice cream, do what he wants. Well, when you talk about his experience, um, share some of the thoughts that, that he's had with you or interactions with you uh, that would, you know, be part of the, obviously, what's the, the family uh, journey into health. So what does he have to say now? How old is he? He's 10 now. 10. You know, I think it's really hard for him to talk about it still. Um, I think that, you know, he's really embarrassed for some reason. And he was embarrassed even then about his seizures. Um, it's it's just such a stigmatized condition or disease. It's, it's something that, you know, I, I think I still need to work on um, to, to get him to just flow with with the past and talk about it, um, you know, without getting upset or getting annoyed. He doesn't want to talk about it. You know, for him, it's like over and he never wants to look back and he's still young, you know, 10 is still pretty young. Um, so I, I'm hoping that as he grows up, I'll be able to have conversations that, you know, acknowledge that moment of his life 
and understand if, if he, you know, if he has any trauma. We, I did take him to a therapist after, you know, after he was healthy. Um, and the therapist said, you know, I think this kid needs a break. No more doctors. And so I said, you know what? I think you're right. <laughs> no more doctors. Yeah. <laughs> Just fun. Um, but I'm, I'm curious. I, I share that curiosity with, with you, I guess. But, you know, what does he think about all this? Well, he has you and you're there ready to talk. You're not the doctor, you're the mother, so he can talk to you. Because I, I was thinking as you're describing your relationship with him, you know, having maybe just a fear that it will come back and to be able to talk about that, not necessarily with a psychiatrist, but with you. Absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, and I also don't want him to think like it's anything to be embarrassed about. Um, you know, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. There is a stigma. You're, I mean, there's a stigma about mental illness. There's all kinds of stigmas related to whatever uh, diseases, physical or mental, that we have. But there, I, I've, I think that's true. That stigma associated with epilepsy. I don't know. Is that his? It's all in our history too, um, medical history, I guess. And and people who were people were fearful of people who had seizures. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I also didn't want, you know, him to not be invited over to friends' houses because, you know, of course, as a mother, like, you're scared. You're not going to be able to handle it, right? And I, I get that fear. Um, but but there's such a variety within epilepsy, you know? Um, and so I think the book also has a didactic quality to it. And in, in very much, you know, plain English, it talks about different types of seizures. It talks about different types of treatments. It talks about, you know, like I, I really try to incorporate what I was learning as a means to be helpful to people going through what I went through. Were there other mothers who were particularly helpful? And if they were, if, if there were, what did they do or how did they help you? You know, I, I didn't really meet any other mothers that were, that had kids with, with epilepsy. Um, it all happened in this really condensed sort of period of time. Um, but as we were getting, we were getting ready to break for school and it was going to be the summer, you know, the, the doctor that one of the doctors said that we should go to something called epilepsy camp, um, where we meet other families, um, you know, that had kids with epilepsy. Um, but to be honest, I felt, I felt that it was part of this, this sort of desire to just like label, label you as as an epilepsy family and put you in epilepsy camp and hang out with the epilepsy kids. And it's, you know, I don't understand why, why our society always wants to do that. I mean, I think there's a difference between wanting to, to have community and support groups and wanting to sort of put you in a bucket and forget about you. And I felt like the doctor wanted to put us in a bucket and forget about us. Um, I, I think that's fairly that. typical. I mean, unfortunately, whatever your diagnosis, you're the cancer patient. You're the cancer patient in room 10. Or I've, I, I, as I said to my last guest, I've done a lot of hospital social work. And in medical facilities, that's how they talk about you very often, uh, whatever your disease is. And uh, you're the heart patient in room 12 or whatever it is. So you do, you're right, you get, you get associated with these labels. Um, you have to differentiate between what support, what's a support group and what's labeling you. Um, that's, I think that's a good point. Yeah. 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 
So yeah, was, I really, really resisted it, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> well, it sounds like you've done a great job. I mean, in terms of getting the right help, but getting that mix of not being uh, medicated from the beginning or not listening to, you know, every doctor that you really begin to question and to be able to go forward. You know, I mean, you're obviously you're talented, you're well-educated, you graduated magna cum laude from Harvard. I didn't mention that in the beginning, but I am now. Um, and you, I am assuming you perhaps have more access to medical care, whatever that happens to be, than a lot of people. So uh, people in your situation may not have the same opportunities. Is there any advice that you would have for them? You know, I think that I think there is a wealth of information that's available for free online. And, um, and there is a paternalistic um, tendency in the medical profession to sort of think that patients aren't intelligent enough to understand or it's just going to make doctors' jobs harder to have to explain more things to us. But honestly, knowledge is power. Yeah. And if you... You know, if we were, had followed the doctor's orders after being, you know, released from the hospital and given our son the first medication that they offered, we wouldn't have discovered all we discovered. And yeah. it's a lot. It's it, it, it's a lot. Takes a lot of courage, I think, to say no. No, I think the word is solution. we have to say. I, I hate to end the interview, but it's gone by so quickly. But courage okay. is uh, courage. Probably is with. The, capital C. Courage is the word when you're confronted with all of what we've been talking about today and your son's uh, diagnosis. Just give us quickly 30 seconds website or websites we can go to uh, for more information about the book. And Sure yeah. thing. Yeah. Sure thing. So my website has a lot of information, including links to access and purchase the book on Amazon or on Barnes & Noble. It's my name, which is Anna Maria Caballero. Anna has one N, so it's A-N-A, Maria, and then my last name is C-A-B as in boy, A-L-L-E-R-O.com, AnnaMariaCaballero.com, and that's the best place to find me on socials and everything else. I'm, I'm very active on Twitter and Instagram, so very happy to connect with, with readers via these social platforms as well. Great. Thanks so much for sharing your story today. I appreciate it. Anna Maria Caballero, a petite mall, a mother's healing love journey. Thank you. Thank you so much for this space. I'm really, really grateful. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. (laughs) 